Hi everyone and welcome to the Panama podcast. Uh, I am James Prescott, your host. Welcome to the show. It's really great to be with you all and um, I am really honoured to be hosting my good friends uh, Natalie and Heather to the show today. Welcome to the show. Hello. Hi. Thank you. Very excited and nervous. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's exciting. I'm, I'm looking forward to this conversation. Um, yeah, Natalie and Heather, I've um, I've known uh, for a while through Twitter, as it seems to be a place that I meet a lot of my guests, um, and um, they have a really powerful story, and I am I'm excited to hear it. So, um, yeah, tell us, just introduce yourselves and tell us about yourselves a bit, and then we'll get into your story. Um, I, so I'll go first because Heather's really nervous, and I like to talk about myself. Um, so uh, I guess the 30,000-foot view, um, I'm a transgender woman, uh, also a Christian and a pacifist. Um, Heather and I met back in uh, 2002. Uh, we're coming up on 20 years together. Mm-hmm. And um, um, obviously she, didn't, she wasn't aware of uh, my gender at the time, um, and she, uh, so we got married uh, about 2004, and uh, then I, I left for the Army right after that, about a month after we got married, spent six years in the Army as an infantry sergeant, then um, got out after uh, back surgery, um, and I just kind of stumbled into an HR career, um, which was completely out of character for who I was at the time, um, very angry, very violent. And then um, probably about 2012 is when we just happened to kind of stumble across a church that we only went to uh, because we knew our parents would ask us, hey, there's a church across the street. Have you gone? And so we wanted to be able to, you know, at least say, yeah, we went, you know, it wasn't for us. But when we went there, you know, it just kind of completely changed us. I grew up in the church. Heather grew up in the church. Um, I came from a fundamental Baptist background, very, you know, I, <laughs> the term fundamentalism gets thrown at, thrown around a lot. Um, independent fundamental Baptist is a whole different breed of what I see called fundamentalism a lot. <clears throat> um, really conservative Southern Baptist to me are not like, you know, but uh, really raised in that strict background. So when I got out of the home, I, st- I got out of the church. I was, you know, I guess functionally what you would call a cultural Christian. Um, if you would have asked me, um, hey, are you a Christian? Of course I am. Um, but I hated all the right people. I hated the LGBT community. Um, you know, other, you know, I, I was a much different person back then. <laughs> and um, but we found this church. And for the first time in you know, basically 30 years of my life, 32 years of my life of going and going to churches, uh, we felt love. Um, it was such a weird, uh, strange feeling. And it just kind of completely changed everything about us. And um, then about, uh, we were living in Houston, Texas, about 2016 is when uh, my depression and suicidal ideation got just, um, 
that's kind of when it really started hitting me the hardest. And uh, that's when I came out to Heather and I'll kind of let her go through that process. <laughs> but, um, and then in 20, um, so eventually we got on board with uh, hormone treatment and at least that aspect of the transition. Originally the plan was I was going to try, I was going to uh, be on hormone therapy, but never social transition. Um, and well, and even before that, it was going to be no hormones. Yeah. Like, and I, yeah. So, um, yeah. So that, that whole was, that whole time was a major process of growing for Heather and mm -hmm. I. Yeah. And, um, but, back, but it did start with going to that church yeah. and changing how we viewed Jesus yeah. and, yeah, his teachings and all of that. You know, that's one thing that looking back, which as, is ironic because <laughs> yeah, um, looking back and thinking about kind of that time that the 2010s for us, um, you know, going to that church, um, really, I guess deconstructing a lot of that garbage theology that we were raised in. Um, that's when I really embraced nonviolence. And I truly believe that th that embrace of nonviolence, you know, for me, it was so much easier to say, I won't commit an act of violence against my neighbor. Um, the hard part of nonviolence was for me was, can I stop committing acts of violence against myself? And <clears throat> that embrace of nonviolence and finally applying those principles to how I treated myself gave me that space uh, to really process my gender. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, so in 2020, um, January 6th of 2020, I remember thinking 2020 is going to be the greatest year ever. Um, I walked into work as Natalie for the first time. And then um, a year later on my um, first, I guess, first birthday, so to speak, on January 6th of 2021, um, a bunch of idiots decided to storm the Capitol and kind of um, steal my day. But so <laughs> stole your thunder. Yeah. So Heather can kind of tell about herself. Um, yeah. I don't know. I think you're doing a good job, a good job there. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So I'm a stay-at-home mom throughout that whole story. Um, along the way, we had two kids and they're neurodivergent. And so um, homeschooling works best for us. And that's what um, I've been doing. And um, we just moved up here to Michigan. Texas was just not feeling safe for us. Yeah. <laughs> Even... I mean, and we don't even have a trans child um, and it's, but you kind of see where the path is heading. You know, it's eventually it's, it's, they're not just, they're not going to stop at trans kids. And um, so we got out of Texas just in time, it feels like, but um, yeah, you know, when Natalie first came out to me, um, we had started going to that church and um, really learning to uh, adapt and practice love others as you love yourself and also learning to love yourself through that because 
um, it's part of that. And um, I, when she came out to me, I felt like a hypocrite, not wanting her to love herself. I didn't want her to um, transition at all at first. I didn't, I didn't even want to think about it. You know, I wanted to just put it out of my mind and nothing's going to change. And, um, but I, I kept hearing this message, lean into love, um, watching Natalie learn to love herself is, you know, that's kind of what, what Jesus was teaching us. It was all about love. Um, and so the more I leaned into love, the more um, I listened and learned about what it means to be transgender and what trans people, pe- transgender people go through um, with gender dysphoria. And, you know, it's not even just that, it's just how media has portrayed trans- transgender people, how that it has affected um, how we view trans mm-hmm. people, because most of us don't know trans people. And so we learn from what we see and, um, just that was even like a deconstruction process too, I feel like, but it all started with, with love and leaning into love, um, and what that looks like and living that out, you know. Oh, that's beautiful. It's so beautiful. And yeah. (laughs) Um, yeah, it really is. It's, it, because it, obviously it's not, I guess, especially having been married already for quite a while, and then and then this big kind of change happens. Yeah. Like, that must have been a really challenging time for both of you in different ways. Um, right. It, it was because, um, you know, I I think that the aspect of it where – what that really meant in coming out, what, 12 years into our marriage, um, you know, for her, and she can speak on this a little bit, but um, that the implication is I lied about who I was for 12 years. Um, so there, there is that kind of inherent violation of trust. Um, but I know what really made it hard for me was you know, when, when you, cause I knew, you know, I was in, I was about five or six years old when I, when I first started to realize, okay, I'm not like the boys in my class who everybody keeps telling me that this is what I'm supposed to be like. And, um, you know, it's the mid 1980s in the fundamental Baptist, uh, cult that we lived in. I didn't know the words for it. I didn't know, you know, there were no resources on it. Um, the internet wasn't a thing back then. And um, we didn't have a full set of Encyclopedia Britannicas. And so I think, um, you know, I've had 30 years to process this. And so once I told Heather, you know, for me, I'm like, okay, let's go. I got over that biggest hurdle. I got out of that starting block and I wanted to run a hundred miles an hour 
So Heather and I were really struggling with resentment towards each other in those early days because, you know, the resentment she struggled with about, you know, kind of not that, that deception. Well, I don't want to say deception is, I don't think that's the right word, but um, that lack of complete and open honesty for 12 years. But for me, I felt like, okay, I want to run a hundred miles an hour. I see that light at the end of the tunnel finally. And all of a sudden it's like, you know, I'm, I'm out out of the starting gates wanting to sprint. And I look back and Heather's putting her shoes on, you know, and it's just like, I wanted to go taking them off or taking them. (laughs) So, um, but you know, that's why I've always found Heather's perspective on this much more interesting. And I know when we have couples reach out to us, um, or I'll have somebody reach out to me say, Hey, this, you know, they're where I used to be. And so, um, you know, married and, you know, but I always stress to them, one, you have to consider what you can lose. You know, we've lost, Heather's lost more than I have. And, um, and I think that's probably easier. You know, I think the losses that I've lost in my family have been easier. I think it's harder because, um, of just how Heather's wired, um, and, you know, in my family, we just blow up. Like we, we have those massive blow ups. Um, that's not really how Heather's family rolls. And um, hmm. so things aren't no, really No, we resolved. have blow ups, but it's after like years of silence. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, it, w- it was a struggle to come to grips with who I was to, because I had to really tear apart a lot of that you know, the stuff that we see, how Hollywood depicts trans people. Um, really, the only um, exposure I had to trans people was through Hollywood, through media, through, you know, everybody was portrayed as this, you know, Hollywood had a very bad track record of only portraying trans women, um, especially trans women of color, <clears throat> as sex workers. Of course, they don't go into the... Um, the systemic issues behind it. Um, and so I had this also this kind of ignorance of what it really meant to be a trans person. And so kind of weeding or wading through all of that. And, but I had time, I had decades to do that. Heather didn't. And it's all, you know, it's like, you know, Hey, you're in your mid thirties. You've got two kids. You've, you've got that textbook American life. Um, and by the way, here's a grenade. I'm going to blow it all up. Mm. So. <laughs> How is that for you? How is this whole thing, this whole process for you, Heather? How did you um, to work your way through it? I, um, well, it's like Natalie said first, alcohol. you get <laughs> lots of alcohol. No, of course not. Um, but you feel like that growing resentment. And I previously um, in our marriage, Natalie struggled with uh, pain pill addiction. And I grew really hard during that time and lived in resentment and was miserable 
um, because she, you know, she was an addict during that time and it, I felt powerless and um, just awful. So, but as I felt that resentment returning, um, I didn't, I just didn't want to be that person. I was like, no, I'm not going to go back to, to that. Um, we got through that. We've grown. We're better now. Um, I know Jesus now. So, um, I just refuse to, to go back to, to who I was because I know what that looks like and I hated it. Um, so that helped, you know, using a past experience to, to get through this. Um, but, um, you know, that's as you feel the resentment growing and it does, there is that notion that it's, once she came out to me, I couldn't look at her any other way. So once she's out, um, there is no going back. Like no matter what you do, there's no going back to how it was before. Can't unring that bell. You can't unring the bell. You really can't. And also, you know, you start thinking like, okay, when we got married, she was trans. When like we met, she was trans this whole time. She's been a woman. And that just kind that's where the dominoes start to fall because then you just have this effect of none of it was real. Um, because this isn't I don't know the person I married. She was someone else. And so but for her, she's been the same person. She's always been the same person. And that took me a while to see again. Um, because it just like, I felt like I started with a blank slate at this point, like everything I knew, you know, and which is a bit traumatic, I guess, but that's kind of how, um, detached, I guess I felt at the time. Yeah. And you know, that's one thing. Um, I've had people tell me that I am a completely different person post trans or not. I don't want to say post, never really post transition. Um, but That I'm a different, like the way I see it, I'm the same person I've always been. It's just before, um, I guess a great example is, um, you know, this extroversion versus introversion. For the longest time, I thought I was an introvert. I came out, I transitioned, and I'm just like, oh my gosh, I want to talk. I I crave those connections with people. Um, So... You know, I, I remember when I first came out to like my family and I would say, look, I'm the same person that I've always been. I, I'm still a diehard Texas Rangers fan. I am still an Aggie. I still love the things that I love. It's just I there were things about me that I didn't know um, that I actually do like people. And um, that my aversion to people in the past was simply That was the first thing I noticed about the change in you. Because as an introvert, I'm like, why does she want to do all this stuff now? Like, can't we just stay home like we always did before? No, we got to do things. And so it's been fun uh, kind of seeing our relationship. Because people on Twitter... You know, they, they see this side of Heather and I, you know, yes, we're the most adorable couple in the world. Um, but, uh, yeah, she, <laughs> but what a lot, oh, what so many people haven't seen was 
for maybe 15 years, our marriage was really hard. Um, it was real, especially for those first 10 to 12 years were just, yeah. they were, it was a bad time. And it's like, you know, those, you know, when you have a get together and you have that couple who fights, we have been that couple before to make everything awkward for yeah. everyone. Like we, we've been there. We've been, we've had that kind of relationship. Yeah. And it's not, not a so. good place to be, but usually those, I'm sure people were like, they are not going to work out with after. I know your Having family seen hoped that. that. <laughs> um, but um, a lot of it has to do with this tension, yeah. you know, that you have whenever you have this big secret yeah. that you're not telling your spouse or other people because yeah. of what could happen if you did. And a lot of it's kind of caused, you know, I think I have learned more about myself in the past uh, two and a half, three years um, that I did my entire life. And I've learned more about Heather in the past two and a half, three years than I did in the first 18 years of our relationship. And because we've had to wrestle with it, we've had, you know, we always get the, oh, the very first question so many people ask is like, oh, so is Heather a lesbian now? You know, but oh, yeah. having to wrestle with these questions because people continue to ask, grossly inappropriate questions of trans people. Yeah. And for me, like figuring out why certain things upset me, like why, why would I be upset if somebody thought I was a lesbian? You have to figure that out because you have, most people don't realize it, the internalized homophobia, you know, mm. why am I getting upset if somebody thinks I'm a lesbian, who cares, you know? And so, but that did bother me at first. And now I'm just like, I, that doesn't seem so bad. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now, now, like the, a couple of weeks ago, I looked at Heather. I was like, Heather, I wouldn't say you're a lesbian, but you're definitely not straight. <laughs> and so, uh, but yeah, you know, we've, we've just gotten, We've been lucky. We've been so lucky because we like we were able to go through this process, this massive life transformation um, with our, like, each of us get to go through it with our best friend. And that makes it so much better. That makes it easier to be open um, in so many ways. But sometimes that makes it a little bit harder to be open. But um, we knew at the end of the day that um, like we, we couldn't be more perfect for each other. Um, and we just kind of find a, you know, those kind of the rough spots that we hit, um, we find a way through it. And, um, you know, we, but we have so many of the same interests. Um, the one I really want to talk about is Dr. Who. Um, <laughs> but Come on to that. Yeah. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Enough about us. Um, podcast, believe me. <laughs> so, um, yeah, Doctor Who, um, you know, that's something for us, it's more than a TV show. And I know a 
lot of Whovians um, kind of feel that way because it's such a deep philosophical show. It's, oh, there's so much great theology in it. Um, but it actually kind of um, coincided with a lot of these changes for us and, um, you know, kind of going through these trans, I mean, you know, Doctor Who. Oh, it's yeah. It's a show about transition. Especially and- when we started thinking about, um, you know, good and evil and how God works and if we have free will and stuff like that. And oh, yeah. we started learning about open theism. And then it, then we watched the doctor. I'm like, wait, the doctor kind of does that where set things has have to happen. But um, it's a fixed event. They're fixed events. But then there are things that he manipulates in between, or she now. Yeah. But um, or they, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um. Now I will say, I will forever uh, be bitter towards Chris Chibnall. I have not been a fan of his writing. Um, in the Jodie Whittaker series, which is really frustrating because I think Jodie was amazing. Absolutely amazing in that role. I love Jodie. There's so much of Jodie, especially in not the series that's just gone, but the one one before that, um, Mm -hmm. which there's so much of her her character arc um, and how she was that reminded me of my favorite Doctor. David Tennant. Yes. Uh, it was just a lot of the way that she was talking, the way that she saw the world, the way that, yeah, she was the conflict. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Heavy burden, you know, that uh, sense of kind of being this lonely traveler with just people around her, like mm-hmm. uh, discovering new things about herself, uncomfortable things. Um, it was yeah. very, very Tennant like. Um, yeah, even to the that Jack was in the series, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, it was, yeah, and yeah. I, I was, I was thinking, like, I'd love to have seen Stephen Moffat or, or Russell T Davies mm-hmm. write oh. because it would, it would have been amazing, you know. Um, oh yeah. Um, yeah, you know, and that's one thing we noticed with Jodie right away. Like, you saw those elements of. Uh, 10. Um, you also saw a little note of 11, I thought, in there. Um, now, my favorite doctor is Capaldi. Um, I love him. I love him. I mean, mm-hmm. To me, Capaldi is the culmination of you know, all that lot pain and loss that the doctor had felt through 9 and 10 and 11. You know, because you, you see... I always oh, felt that uh, Matt Smith's doctor was um, kind of his way of coping with all that he's lost and kind of reverting into that, almost like that childlike um, persona. And he, he was the doctor who forgets. Yeah. And, and Tennant was the one who regrets. That's kind of how. And Capaldi comes along and he is, he has that, depth of wisdom about him um nobody like i love david Tennant. absolutely love him he is a phenomenal actor um whether it's in good omens whether it's in what's the show he did with michael sheen the during covid oh staged staged um everything about david Tennant is amazing brilliant nobody 
nobody nails the monologue <coughs> like Peter Capaldi. Absolutely agree. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. and the weird thing about Peter Capaldi for me was that he was, and somebody said this to me, and I, and I thought it made absolute sense. He is the doctor's real face. Yeah. Kind of masks, right? But yeah. he is yeah. the doctor's real face. So when you take it away, this, this is actually who he is. And it, he even looks old. You know, he's, he looks old, right? Yeah. Um, the doctor is old, right? He's got battle scars. Um, and this kind of felt, yeah, Capaldi felt like the face of the of the true doctor, like finally coming yeah. to terms with himself. Yeah, um, because it yeah. took him you know. it took him time to get there. He wasn't at yeah. that point right away. And it was really amazing how Capaldi was able to bring that doctor forth yeah. with where he began. Yeah, especially because I did not like him at first. It it was that whole cycle like, oh, new doctor, hate it, and then by the time there's another new doctor, you love him. Well, I so I think what hurt Capal like I the Danny Pink story arc was horrible. Absolutely like the, and it didn't so the only part sense. of that I liked was um after Danny Pink died and went to hell and uh, you know I, they had that yeah. scene and yeah. but the 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 richness of like that that theology is you see it there when you know she's Clara's like you know I've betrayed you you know why oh. would why would you still help me and he's like do you think I care so little about you that betraying me would matter uh, and it's just like oh my gosh Yes, like that, and you is, saw it with Tennant and yes. the Master. Yeah, um, uh, but to me, that's why I'm like Doctor Who. You know, yeah, it's fun to go to Comic Cons, it's, but it's so much more than a, there. There's so much uh, depth to it that um, you know. I know my 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 parents love to kind of you know, just poke at us about Doctor Who. Oh, it's a stupid alien. Yeah, we totally got your mom into it, though. Yeah, the stupid <laughs> alien sci-fi show. That's for kids. I'm like, no, this is actually a very deep show um, that if you really pay attention to kind of what's going on, um, you know, it it just pulls you in. And Capaldi, as a person, exudes that, too, because mm-hmm. even when he's out in public and he meet, meets fans – it's a big thing to him to represent the doctor. And I think yeah. that's really cool. So, yeah, uh, I was, yeah. And I, I was lucky enough to get to meet Billy Piper at Comic-Con once. Uh, oh yeah. And I was dressed up as tenant. So I got a photo of oh. with her. Me, yep. me and my oh yeah. I've seen I that. Love it. It's, yeah, uh, we, it's uh, yeah. That's one thing. Um, oh, that was so, I mean, I don't want to say that was the worst thing about COVID because obviously the world's falling apart, pe- fan- like People tragedy everywhere. Um, but the, the absence of Comic Cons, um, it really, you know, we hate, I hated it because every time, because we would always, anytime there was a Comic Con in Texas, we would go. Yeah, we if, go to like three or four a year. Yeah, if there was a, a doctor there, especially mm-hmm. if there's a Doctor Who character there. Um, like in San Antonio, that's when we got our pictures taken with Tina and Billy Piper. Um, so, but 
all of I didn't socially transition until right before COVID. Mm. So all of our Comic Con pictures with all these, you know, you know, we've got um, Captain Jack River Cap- Song, Donna yeah. Noble, um, Billy, Billy, um, or Bill, Bill, and Capaldi. Yeah, Bill and Capaldi. Um, but they're wow. all of my past self. Yeah, and it's just like. Oh, Crap! I, we got to do all these all over again, and um, but uh, but yeah, yeah you know, I mean, yeah, this show is so tied into identity, isn't it? Like who we oh. are, oh. how we change, yeah. and yet we stay the same. Like the Doctor regenerates. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. They, change mm-hmm. they change even their gender. They change um, their personality, but they're still the Doctor. They're still the same person they're still the same memories still like the same things still have the same yeah. values mm-hmm. right it's still the same person just different and there's yeah, something you about know. That in terms of personal i've always said there's something about that in terms of personal transformation and like i've talked about it on this show before with other people and i guess that resonates with you as well i'm guessing yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. you know absolutely and i think um if we were going to kind of draw comparisons, um, you remember when Matt Smith, um, when at Trenzalore and uh, when he regenerated and, you know, uh, Clara really struggled mm-hmm. with the new doctor, with Capaldi. Um, she was used to the young, attractive doctor. And here she, all of a sudden it's like, boom, you know, he's this old man. I see Heather as Clara there um, when I transitioned. (laughs) That's me. I know. You know how I feel about her. Neither of us are on Team Clara. (laughs) I'm just kidding. um, I see what you're saying. We will fight about this later. (laughs) Um, But, you know, really, really coming to grips at, okay, yes, this person doesn't look the same, but it's the same person. Um, Mm -hmm. This person may go you know, and to take it further, she kind of had to teach them, ha- teach him how to do doctor things. I kind of had to teach yeah. you how to do girl things. Yeah, and now I do your makeup. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, oh that's funny. Uh, yeah, that was an interesting transition that one because the doctor changed so dramatically between those two yeah. generations. It wasn't just tenant to to Matt Smith, who were two like. Relatively young guys, right? Um, so mm-hmm. not not so much of a well, personality different, but still not too much of a difference. But going from Matt Smith to Peter Capaldi is a pretty big jump, right? Um, from the I think he was the youngest doctor as well. He yeah. was, that, yeah. And then it was to Capaldi, who was one of the oldest. Like it was, mm-hmm. it was a big jump, and um, yeah, you can see it in those first few episodes with with Capaldi that they're, they're trying to build, rebuild their relationship in a way. They're yeah. trying to figure out who they are and you know, how they relate to each other again. You know, it's, um, yeah. And they're both trying to figure that out in that series. Yeah. Because yeah. Capaldi's trying to figure out who he is. It takes yeah. a whole series for him to, re- to figure it out. Like, um, that's what that series is about for him. Like he's, yeah. And that, that's a really interesting that's why I love that season. It's a it's a really interesting journey that they go on. Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. 
and it starts out with a dinosaur. A so dinosaur on the That's Thames. awesome. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, but that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but you're right about the you know the, the show being so much depth in that show. The doctor, some of the doctor's speeches, like, and this is any doctor, not just one doctor, but the monologues, you know, about love and war and peace and like and how purposeless violence is and like um, all these kind of things. Like, yeah, yeah the one, the the the, uh, um, the Peter Capaldi monologue about war oh. and peace and like people just sit down and talk and think and you know, yeah. Like, I was share, I shared that, and you, I think we both shared that around the time the attacks on the attacks on Ukraine started because it was yeah. so powerful. It's really it's, powerful. It is. It is. You know, this, this is this is people tell me these shows don't matter and they're just for kids or they're not they're not well the stories don't matter. I saw someone tweet this the other day, like, why is anyone reading fiction stories right now? And I'm like, don't you get it? These stories are like they're they're, they're, they're fictional characters. But yeah. the stuff inside of them is true. It's profound. It's got mm-hmm. meaning for all of us, and yeah. we find solidarity in these stories. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it's yeah, it's yeah, it's amazing. Capaldi's uh, his anti-war speech was, you know, we've gone back and watched um, a good chunk of the classic Who episodes. Um, we, we've watched all the new who probably we've gone through probably five or six times. Um, I cannot think of any moment more profound and more iconic than that anti-war speech because, and you know, we were watching it, um, a couple months ago and something hit me while I was watching, you know, typically in those monologues and those powerful monologues, they're enhanced because you kind of get this background music building up to that climactic. When Capaldi is going, when he is uh, on that monologue, it is, there is no background sound. It is mm-hmm. Peter Capaldi just owning the moment. And, it is such a beautiful and logical um, case for nonviolence because uh-huh. um, I show it to people. I'm like, prove this cop, prove this monologue wrong. There, it is an irrefutable case, and I use it at work as an HR manager. Um, you know, because war is so much more than just that physical violence. You know, you. Ha- it, it extends into that verbal sphere. And I use that about, um, you know, once you kind of get into that cycle of violence, even if it's a cycle of violence with your words, you, you can't, once it starts, you lose control over it and you're going to end up exactly where you ha- should have started. And you have to sit down and talk. Um, that was the first time I have, I mean, I, I almost stood up to do it, but I clapped when I first heard that because it was just so powerful. Mm. Um, yeah. Just to me, the most iconic moment um, in Doctor Who, um, although there is the. Um, that's, that's who he is. He doesn't believe in violence. Like, he doesn't carry a gun. He, you know, he yeah. doesn't have a weapon. Mm-hmm. Um, he has a banana. You know, and it's it, that's something that's like he's a hero, but he doesn't use a gun. He doesn't, 
use violence. He doesn't throw punches. That's really, really profound. I I was talking about, I did a podcast about Superman the movie and somebody told me this and I I love this movie and I'd never realised this, but there is not one punch in that movie. Superman doesn't punch anyone. There's no fight. There's no fights. There's no violence. Nothing. Superman just saves people. That's all he does in the movie. That's what you see him doing. Yeah. Right. And and that for a superhero movie is like, whoa. Yeah. And it's a great movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there's no violence. There's no mm-hmm. there's no beating people up. Um and it's and Doctor Who is the same kind of it's the same. It just, he doesn't do that. Well she doesn't do yeah. that. You know, there's but it's you can, about saving people. You, yeah. But you can still see the struggle yeah. with that. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's a conflict. You no, know? and that's yeah. what I appreciate too, because um it's easy to say you're a pacifist, you know, mm. but I, I don't think people see um that that's not easy to say and it's not easy in practice either. Um, mm. You know, we, you assume that, Oh, you, that means you just don't get involved and you sit to the side, but that's, that's not it at all. Um, you're caring for everyone. Um, yeah. Like the doctor is saving, is trying to save everyone in that situation. He even goes back to try to save the Santarans. You know, it's he, not like he saved. Although, Jodie Whittaker in the Santarans. Oh, have you seen the? Have you seen all of Jodie Whittaker? Yeah. The last episode where she basically goes off on the Santarans. I'm like, what? No, what is happening? But Mm -hmm. she's having to face that reality now. But that really, that's that's really. I was trying to give Chimnall the benefit of the doubt and then when he did that to the doctor that really made me mad i'm like okay the doctor always has to carry this weight yeah Mm -hmm. like of these decisions that they have to make and which affect so many people and it's it's a horrible burden to carry like you can always tell when it's the beginning of the end of a doctor yeah because because whenever that weight starts to get too heavy for them like, yeah. right, that's when you can tell when it's like, okay, this is the last act of their time. Um, yep, that's really, so you know, true. You can, you can tell. And of course, and of course, writers know that they're going to bat through generate, so they can, they can yeah. write that in. But nevertheless, it is mm-hmm. an important part. I mean, it happened with, it was happened with every doctor, like with Tennant, it was yeah. like throughout over a year. You knew that, you know, he knew that he was getting, he was going to die. They start <laughs> getting desperate. Yeah. Like you see it in their faces, you see it in the actors' faces. They really do a good job of, like, you look at them and you're just like, like, I mean, compare Tennant's last few episodes with his first episode. He looks so complete. Like his first episode, um, I remember watching his first episode and thinking, "Oh, this is going to be horrible." I want Chris Eccleston back. Um, <laughs> And, um, but he like looked like really young and kind of like, I don't know. I don't want to say doofy, but, um, doofy, but he, you know, but by, by you say that about David Tennant, by his, by the end, um, his face looked a lot more worn, like not in a bad way, but 
just like this is what life in as the doctor does to you. Well, it's because they have like an entire year between each season. Mm -hmm. You age like 10 years and three seasons. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah. But yeah, I I get what you're saying. You have that. You see that they've, they've aged. Yeah. You saw a lot with Matt Smith. I mean, just, I, I think Matt Smith has the best first episode. Of all the new who? Oh, absolutely! Um, I love that episode. I love the way they they brought them all together. I think if they did something like that with Jody, yeah, that people would have accepted her more. But they just completely threw out everything. The the canon and <laughs> everything. But yeah, um, Matt Smith had a good first. But yeah, so yeah, episode. but Doctor Who's been very important for us. Um, you know the. Because it is something that we can, that we resonate with that, you know, that life of transition um, kind of, you know, especially, you know, there's also the, the nonviolent and it's just, it was this show that we found at the perfect time in our lives. Um, Watched it. If we watched it five years earlier than we did, we may have tried. Watching I think we it. tried watching it, and we were like, "What? This is cheesy sci-fi, too cheesy for us." Or yeah, something. I th- I think the episode where uh, oh, Mickey yeah. got eaten by a trash can. Yeah, that was it. That's a, uh, Nine's first episode, and it's super cheesy and low budget. Oh yeah, and that one. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, that's a lot of people. I think when they try to get other people onto Doctor Who, they'll say, start with David Tennant's Doctor. Yep. <laughs> because that first episode. I always say that without fail. Like it, yeah. yeah. You only understand that when you actually watch it. Like, Tennant's first season is one of the best seasons of Doctor Who. Yeah. For me. yeah. Like, it's just, there's so many good episodes. Yeah. yeah. They all mm-hmm. together as, a, as, a, as an overarching story as well. And it's, Oh, it's so good, and I cried at the end of it. Obviously, you know, mm-hmm. what's know your uh, what's your favorite tenant episode? I think it's the girl in the fireplace. Yes, ah, yeah, yeah. so one. much. I've seen it so many times, and it never gets old. Right? Yeah, um, it's just yeah, that one it definitely stands out. Um, yeah, and obviously, Blink is fantastic. Yeah. Um, yeah. The only thing I blink is that Tenor's not in it as, that much. Yeah. Um, but it's still a really great episode. It, it's just a really great episode. But yeah, yeah Girl in the Fireplace definitely is my yeah. Girl, Girl in the Fireplace is my favorite Tenor episode. Um, the, blink. When he, when he says, you know, I'm the doctor and I snog Madame And I snog Madame Duvall. It's so great. It's so great. It's so good. Yeah. It's just oh, wait, or when Rose says, oh, here he comes, the oncoming storm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or look what the cat dragged in, the oncoming storm. There's also the, uh, the, 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 the little throwaway line. Um, they talk about Cleopatra. And he said, and he goes, yeah, but he called her Cleo. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, yeah. the whole story in there. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, everybody, just, just accept it. This is our podcast. Um <laughs> Oh yeah, and when he wants to keep the horse, and he yeah. tells Rose, "You get to keep Mickey." Yes, that episode. Yeah, is girl, 
it is absolutely absolutely a classic. It is so, um, well, this has been really good fun. I really, it's been really great to hear your story and to hear how, yeah, and to, and just to hear how Doctor Who has played a part in that story too. And um, yeah, I think that's true for many people. The Doctor Who has played a part in that in their story. And yeah, courageous yeah. to share your story. I really, I'm always, I'm always blown away by people who are willing to share their stories. Um, Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, it's one of those. It's one of those things. Um, one, I believe there's tremendous power in stories, but um, you know, like there, there was a, a documentary called Disclosure. It was on Netflix, and you know, it's about trans uh, depictions in media and the harmful history of that. Um, all the big trans actors and actresses are in this documentary. And, you know, they talk about how um, 80 or 80% or 80% of Americans personally know a gay person, um, but only 20% of Americans know a trans person. And so, you know, that's, I, I think having, you know, being more visible, I know we, at the end of this month we have uh, Transgender Day of Visibility, but being more visible, just how important it is, um, mm-hmm. you know, because we've seen it with, because there are times, I mean, it's exhausting. It is exhausting being that person on Twitter. Um, you know, it's having, because I'm in this we're in this strange intersection of because so many trans people have less, they grew up in the church and they found they deconstructed and they found that this is not a safe place for them. And I absolutely get that. Like I, you know, my brother, my oldest brother and I, we've talked about this before and how it's a miracle given our upbringing that we did not uh, reject faith altogether. Um, I remain a Christian in spite of Christians um, because we tend to be the worst of the bunch. Mm -hmm. And, um, but having people reach out who are, who's in that situation that, that I know how terrifying it is to be in that, you know, when you're closeted. Um, So having them reach out and being able to kind of help counsel, you know, we are far, we are not remotely like we are not licensed counselors. And I always preface any interaction with people. Um, you know, I'm like, look, we are not licensed counselors. Interact at your own risk. (laughs) We, we, we will share our experiences and maybe you can glean something from that. Uh, that's helpful. Um, but I know that in the situations in where the spouse Typically, the uh, cisgender wife has reached out to Heather. Um, those marriages have thrived. Um, Heather, like, because to me, that's really the key. Is um, Heather's that because it's for the trans person, it's a lot. I don't want to say it's a lot easier. It's never easier for us, but you know, for that for that spouse. 
um, they know that they can leave and like nobody's going to judge them for that. You know, I even told Heather, look, if you can't do this, well, you know, I, I told Heather, if you can't do this, then I won't transition and, you know, we'll just kind of suffer through it. But like Heather said, can't unring that bell. <laughs> and, um, but having Heather there to kind of help walk that spouse through that process, answering those fears and those questions, um, you know, to me, that's why I'm like, Heather's got the most interesting story and the most interesting perspective um, because it's the one that doesn't get listened to a lot because I'm, you know, one, I'm the extrovert. I'm the four, I'm the emotional storm and um, <laughs> I am the drama. And so all eyes tend to- The kind oncoming of, storm. All the eyes tend to focus on me. Um, but Heather's just back there plugging away, just loving. And um, the impact that has on others, especially spouses kind of going through that, um, it's tremendous. But they're, they're already- um, you know that, that if they're reaching out, they're already willing to work on it. I think mm. that has more to do with the success than having me, you know, to listen or whatever. Because um, like that right there says, oops, sorry, <laughs> just spoke Natalie in the eye. <laughs> that right there says, you know, that they want to know more and to figure it out and and to work and and learn and grow together because i've had people not reach out you know i have no idea how they're doing but like just the first step of the spouse reaching out you know that's step one that's of showing their willingness to because i was not willing to reach out to anybody i didn't want the judgment I didn't want to, I, I didn't want th judgment from people who said I should divorce Natalie. And I didn't want the judgment from people who said I should just accept it all right away and, and move forward because I wasn't ready to do that either. Um, but you know, so I want to be the person that people can re reach out to no matter what direction they're going, because I know it would have been so much easier had I had someone else that had been through it before to kind of walk me through it and mm. tell me that like, it's going to be okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be okay. But you know, Oh, go ahead. No, I, I was just going to say, I think it's, I think you guys are amazing and you know, the, the courage that you've showed and sharing your story and also just in how you've lived out your life and work this out with each other. It's, um, it's inspiring. So, um, and, uh, yeah, no, absolutely. And, uh, thank you for coming on the show. Uh, oh. um, how can people get hold of you? If, uh, I mean, on, what are your Twitter handles? Tell the people who um, want to follow, get in touch. So, um, my Twitter handle, um, is at Nat Grace 79. That's N a T G R A C E seven, nine. Uh, mine's at Heather drew H E A T H E R D R E W. 
and my DMs are open. Um, Don't say that. Yeah. I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> we, we both have our DMs open. They're, yeah, I know. <laughs> they're open to everybody but the Theo bros. <laughs> I'm, I'm done with them. Absolutely. They are open, but Natalie will also screenshot. So watch out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Well, um, thank you for listening. Thank you for coming on. And thank you for listening, everybody. And uh, give these guys a follow. And um, they're amazing. And uh, yeah, thanks for listening, everyone. <laughs>